We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How can we use preseason information to get better at fantasy and not fall into traps? That's what we're going to talk about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotoviz. The zero RB targets have started to roll out. By the time you hear this, they might already all be out. The absolute best pieces of fantasy content in the entire industry every single year. I had someone ask me the other day that they that they felt like they had a pretty good idea of kind of the concept of zero RB and anti-fragility and how to build rosters. But like, if I could really pinpoint some of these late targets that would help them fill it out, obviously that's the first place, you know, I'm sending people is, is the zero RB targets. That's where you want to go to get those answers. Sean, how you doing? Awesome. And I appreciate you uh, mentioning that going through that it's been fun to write it's always both a fun piece and one where you feel quite a bit of pressure because it is a situation where we want to hit these guys both for ourselves and for the subscribers and we also talk a little bit about what we want with those players now ben you and i did uh actually four shows on zero running back went through the elements of it a lot but we did talk about the different profiles that we want to get some exposure to throughout this back end of the draft, this part where we're going for the zero running back targets and how balancing some of those profiles allows us to have both the necessary upside, right? The zero RB list through the years has allowed us to have a lot of top 10 players. So if people are telling you, you have to use a top three round pick to get someone who is an impact guy at running back, that's simply not true. At the same time, we know we're not going to be perfect. We can't see the future. If we did, these guys wouldn't be going so late, right? And so we also want to have backs for some other profiles to make sure we can do the things to get us through. And we've mentioned the team that the Blair Andrews and I drafted last year a number of times. It was an extreme zero RB team. One where we didn't take a running back until round 11. And then actually made some mistakes in terms of who we did take. We missed on our big free agent bid for James Robinson. Just missed by a couple of dollars. Didn't get him. And the guys who really carried us through were Hines and McKissick. And we talk in the list about the importance of those guys. And if you haven't been reading Blair Andrews, I mean, he just dropped an amazing wrong read article this week talking about what metrics for running backs help you 
predict fantasy points for the next season, but also which ones are most closely related to ADP, right? So if something helps you predict fantasy points, but people are paying even more than that, if they're paying too much for a particular element of a player's profile, then maybe something that's a little bit less predictive, but also completely inexpensive is something that will help you get closer to what you want to do, right? We're trying to find exploitable opportunities in terms of production to price, not only figure out how people are going to score. So you have to understand the pricing element of that. We go through some of those types of things. Again, trying to put together a full roster, knowing that we have only one of every 12 picks, and we're going to have to do some things within the draft to make sure we have a full team. So I like that element of it. Then the other thing people have been really asking us about is this Dynasty League draft that we are doing. It's been an absolute blast. You and I have spent lots of time kind of going back and forth on our picks. A couple of the guys who we just selected actually do come out on that zero RB list because they have this receiving profile that's so important. We just selected Giovanni Bernard and James White in the 16th round. Those were our third and fourth running backs. It seems a little bit odd maybe to draft them in a dynasty startup, but then explain to people kind of what our team looks like and how we're feeling about it. Yeah, I think we're feeling great. I, I'm feeling great. We talked on the on uh, last week's show, kind of did a little bit of an update or, or one of last week's shows <laughs> to kind of do a little update about sort of where we were at. Uh, we trade back. We'd gained a lot of value. I can't remember yet uh, if at that point we had traded back up to get Kyler Murray, but we did wind up with Kyler Murray on this roster. Um, so we did have sort of a top five player who we traded for several rounds into the draft after, you know, some days after he had already been selected by another, another drafter. And, and that was one of the things that was, really beneficial about the several trade downs we made. But yeah, we have Kyler. We took Derek Carr. We took our, our boy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we have a nice little three quarterback build for this super flex format. Our receivers are loaded. I mean, I, I can just read them in the order they're listed here. It's not the order we took them in, but Juju, DJ Moore, Michael Thomas, Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, LaVisca Chenault, KJ Hamler, which was a later pick, obviously, but a guy we love, Odell Beckham, Debo Samuel, and both Rondell Moore and Elijah Moore. So we got the the rookie upside with those guys. We still have, you know, the second year upside with guys like KJ Hamler. We have several other still sort of undervalued, uh, you know, Visca also fits into the second year breakout kind of profile. Several other sort of undervalued younger players, guys that we think could still have several good productive years ahead of them. DJ Moore, Juju, Debo, and then guys like Will Fuller and Tyler Boyd who. You know, Sean, you've been you know preaching about since they were prospects and 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 are still so good at at their respective ages. And then we also took a couple shots on guys like Odell and, and Michael Thomas, who were just going so cheap at that point, way behind uh, ADP and, and getting really got good value on those guys. Maybe maybe guys in, in this particular roster that we will flip at some point. But at the same time, like we could just use that production to go for it this year too. Uh, our tight ends are strong with with uh, Mike Gesicki, Cole Komet, and Pat Freermuth. Some some youth there. Gesicki kind of stabilizes it. Two of our, our favorite young tight ends. And then we basically just punted running back. But we did take Zach Moss before some of these other guys. And the rest of them we've just taken at the very end. We took James Conner. We took Geo. And we took James White. And, and none of those guys are young, right? I mean, Conner's still only 26. But all of them could be – their careers could be done in the next couple of years. But – it was very easy to get them also in, in the rounds that we got them in terms of the, the cost that presented to, to acquire. There was no opportunity cost really at all. With that four-man backfield, we can definitely start two solid running backs a week. We're going to be able to, to play five receivers a week with all the, the flexes 
Um, we'll have two solid quarterbacks, especially, you know, Murray's going to really help stabilize that. This team can win in year one, and we have four first-round picks and four second-round picks next year as well. So I'm really, really excited about how it broke down. It should be fun. You mentioned those four firsts and four seconds for next season, especially in Superflex formats. The second-round picks do matter quite a bit. Then we traded back and traded back and traded back, and we had an area that we wanted to target. And it wasn't necessarily rounds 10 and 11, but it worked out that we had six picks in those rounds. We selected Beckham, Gasicki, Fuller, Komet, Fairmuth and Moss. Moss really the running back target that we were hoping would be there. He was. Fairmuth, somebody that I got pretty nervous would go early after he had the breakout preseason game following a training camp where the Steelers have just been raving about him. You get the impression that, uh, I mean, he and Harris have not just been the rookie stars, but they've been two of the very brightest spots on that entire team. And so to be able to get them in those positions and but one of the things about having a deep team like this, you know, people talk all the time about, okay, well, you know, you're actually giving up a lot of value if you go young because there are veteran players who end up more or less being given away. And yet one of the things that happens if you trade back is that you can do both things. You get the picks, you get the young guys. You mentioned the young guys we have. We've got a lot of them. And then also you can get some value on older players. So if you've traded back and are not – you know, feeling that pressure to select early, then you can take Michael Thomas, you can take Odell Beckham, you can take Will Fuller. And, you know, they do both things for you then. They round out your team. They're also interesting trade chips. And our show last week was about value. How do we get value? We talked about having double values in Dynasty. And you don't always get those. And we took a couple of the young guys early because we really wanted them. But you can come back then and make sure that you have a little bit of ADP discipline by taking some of those guys who slide. If you've got a narrow construction or a, a construction that has sort of a narrow path to victory, you're very limited in terms of your ability to take some of these values because you really need a certain type of player when you're there in round 8, 9, 10, 11. If you've got a lot of picks, then you can just pick the best guys. Absolutely. And, and one thing I would add, I mean, it's always helpful to be co-managing a team with Sean Siegel, but... I think a lot of people hear this kind of thing and they think, well, I mean, you guys obviously just knew when to take all the guys and, and, and have all the right targets. And that all sounds great, but I can't execute that. There's a lot of guys that we had as targets that we didn't get, you know, Jerry Judy went higher than we wanted him to um, in that 10th round range. We were looking at guys like Henry Ruggs. They went higher than we wanted them to. And so we wind up taking Will Fuller and it's a little bit of a different um, player for our particular build, but it also, was a fairly easy pivot because we had already hit all the young players, like you said, and now we sort of just have wide receivers in every age range in this really deep wide receiver group that we have, which is nice in Dynasty, obviously, because not everyone's aging out at the same time or anything like that. So there was a lot of options in all these spots, and the key to your point was trading back and loading up on a lot of picks and then allowing sort of things to come to us. We had earlier tight end targets. You know, I, I was pretty excited about trying to get Irv Smith or Logan Thomas we had talked uh, about both of those guys. They ended up going the round before where we made our, our tight end picks, but we still built our whole tight end room in those round, round 10, 11 range, three of them and, and feel good about the three that we have and, and the, the different age groups. And for him, it's kind of the guy of the future commits a potential second year breakout. And we have Kasiki for now. It's, it's great. So, you know, you can see the logic really if you, if you kind of think through this roster as as we were talking about it. The running backs we can replace with the future picks and and those types of things. That that is the most replaceable position. So, uh, yeah, very excited about the build. 
To jump back to the the point that you made, though, also, I you know just want to reemphasize the zero RB target list. It just crushes every year. It's fantastic. One of the things I love about it is you sometimes do, and I don't know if you have it planned this year, so I don't want to commit you to anything, but you sometimes do an update. And we do we do have new information always coming. And, and this is the, the position where values can shift so much in the preseason. We talked about Blair's great article as well, and I definitely want to reiterate that. That was a fantastic article. Go check that out at Rotoviz. But that's that's what we wanted to talk about today was this idea of the preseason information, how we can use it to get better at fantasy. How do we not fall into traps? How do we adjust to various information? And one of the things that you put in our notes right away, which is very true, that high-stakes drafters who draft kind of during the final couple of days, they often do very well. Uh, my very good team last year that finished in the top 20 overall was drafted on Saturday night after the Thursday night game. And, and Will Fuller had a big, big week one for Houston in, on Thursday night. And we ended up selecting him in the fourth round. He'd been going in, you know, maybe the sixth round. We took him in the fourth round to sort of lock that up. We adjusted quickly to that clarity that not only did he get a lot of targets in that first game, but he got a lot of targets in the intermediate range. And, and we always knew he had the downfield ability but even before that Thursday game, just as we approach week one, you'll hear a lot of high-stakes players talk about this, that, that drafts become a lot more efficient, and and it's a lot easier, I think, to have – you know, there's, there's two ways to think about that. I think that the basic way is – or the, I don't want to be rude, but like sort of the, the, the simple thought is um, – that sounds rude – but so, sort of the – the initial way that you're going to think about it is, well, if I draft earlier, I can get values on all these players before their values rise. But it, it it can work that way, certainly. But yeah, um, you, you have to make a lot of bets. It's all probabilistic bets, and there's wider ranges. And at some point, you're going to probably take some some picks that also lose value or, or things go go negative. That it, it just sort of works out that way, right? Where the later picks are the ones when we get a little bit narrower ranges, we get a little bit more information that those teams end up being a little better. They do. And, and like you said, it can move both ways because every day it feels like the values are worse. And so you have this sense of like, I, I've got to get out there and draft some teams before I lose a round of value on all of my, my targets. And, and you're going to lose some value on some of your guys. But the draft itself is, once you get down to it, it's about executing this sort of high upside strategy that you and I have talked about all offseason having the right structure, but then also being disciplined on price and not making mistakes. And especially in those first 10 rounds, it's important to not make mistakes. And then 11 through 20, you have to have the right kinds of targets. Now, you're probably overly optimistic about what your players you draft in rounds 11 through 20 are going to uh, do for you. It just People were asking me this week uh, about that team that Blair and I drafted because people don't believe that you could have gone that way and been successful. And so, you know, I look it up, I'm looking through the draft. I mean, I definitely understood that we had missed on most of our running backs. And then I looked at the exact players we took in rounds 11 through 20. Like, I mean, it was actually worse than I thought, right? You're not necessarily going to get a ton of production in that range. And yet there are plenty of seasons where you do get two or three guys out of that and they make all the difference. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were on you know, DJ Chark, Lamar Jackson, when he was bizarrely, uh, inexpensive, even though people knew the profile he was bringing to the table. And so you, you have that balance. You need to be humble. You need to understand, okay, I'm not necessarily going to hit on these picks. If I don't hit on them, it doesn't mean I'm not going to do well because I'm going to continue to do things like read stealing signals throughout the season. And I'm going to be the best waiver person in my league. Right? I'll fix the problems that I have on the team, but we do also want to make sure that 
anything we can do in that range, we do do. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener, this is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021, and you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Going back to sort of your point about it, there are some elements that you can use there. So if you're playing in the FFPC, for example, and you're looking at that first game, you're aware of who played well after the Thursday night game. Going into the Thursday night game, one of the reasons that you might want to have a Ronald Jones, you might want to have a Gio Bernard, you might want to have a Chris Godwin, um, and maybe less Godwin than the running backs. But if Gio goes out there and catches 10 passes and scores 30 points, I mean, he's going to be a round like seven pick in those you know, three days or two days after the Thursday night game. And you get some exposure to that by going ahead and drafting him where he's going right now in this time period before the game. Yeah, and, and you get the option to put him in your lineup in that scenario too, right? Right. Yeah, and so I, you end up, you're just getting a very different value. Because if he has a poor game, he's not going to drop that much. But if he has a big game, I mean, he's going to go, well, maybe he will drop a little bit. He's, 
is actually a little bit expensive when you consider what most people expect him to do. I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about his situation. You go back and you look at Tom Brady, you know, what he did there with James White. I mean, James White was outscoring Sonny Michelle and Damian Harris, right? And the idea that Gio could not straight up outscore both Fournette and Jones, I mean, he very definitely could. I mean, I, I kind of expect that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, I mean, you want to go ahead and get some exposure now because that first game could be very, very interesting. I mean, if they're in a shootout in the fourth quarter, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, who knows how high you could go on the receptions. I mean, you think about James White in the Super Bowl and the upside for him is kind of crazy. And so you're thinking about that in terms of a variety of players. As you get more information, you're going to make fewer mistakes. If you have the right structure and don't make mistakes, your team is going to be good. And so, Ben, what are some of the other things that we've been learning here in the preseason that can allow us to make fewer mistakes? Or, or do we have some teams where the information from the past week is really pretty meaningful in terms of how the quarterbacks could affect kind of the entire roster? Yeah, I mean, the, the big ones this week were Denver and New Orleans naming starters. We, we know Teddy Bridgewater is going to start in Denver. You know, James uh, Jameis Winston is going to start for New Orleans. I'm, I guess a little skeptical, more skeptical on Jameis. You know, I guess in both both cases, some skepticism is warranted. But on Jameis, you know, keeping that role or, or you know, essentially how, how much uh, Taysom Hill will play. Certainly Jameis being named the starter is a good sign in that direction. Uh, and, and being named the starter early. And it, it was enough of a, an impact that, you know, with a lot of the other things we're hearing, Latavius Murray potentially being on the roster bubble, obviously Michael Thomas's injury, a lot of these concerns we've had with Alvin Kamara, for example, have started to kind of dissipate. And that was something we were talking about before the show. This morning, before we recorded this, I was updating my rankings and uh, my tiers, I've had Christian McCaffrey in his own tier, and I've had Dalvin Cook in his own tier, and then I've had a big tier three at running back, which has been kind of a weird structure for me based on how I normally do things. I don't typically do things that way, but that's just how I've felt that the, the players were valued. But this morning, I did move Kamara up into Dalvin Cook's tier, and so now it's a tier of two behind McCaffrey. I, I think he's you know pretty clearly this, this RB3 now, and, and that's because of a, a multitude of factors, but it's a really interesting point back to our original question about how we can use preseason information. We had question marks about Camara. We still have question marks about Camara, but a lot of those have been sort of all the news has been moving in his favor. Um, a lot of them have kind of been addressed, I would say. And, and some of it would have been the concern of Taysom Hill, certainly in the, in the targets. And now that we have James at quarterback, that's he's likely not to play more than we expected before he was named the starter. Right. And so the more he plays, the better, probably, because Taysom Hill is not somebody who, is, you know, with his rushing ability is going to typically get off his first read and find the check down. He's going to he's going to take off and run. Uh, we see that with scrambling quarterbacks. And so Jameis is a positive for Kamara in that regard. And the other notes that weren't really necessarily expected, like Latavius Murray, not really being, you know, potentially being on the roster bubble and this Tony Jones guy potentially being the number two back is, is a positive for Kamara. Michael Thomas being out for however long he is is a positive for Kamara. They need playmakers. It's a positive for Marcus Callaway too and, and other guys we've talked about, but it's certainly not you know a negative for Kamara. It might mean more splitting out for Kamara and more targets down the field. So that's a really interesting one. The Bridgewater one to me is um, – I think it's it's probably good for the, the receivers. I've had to think about that one a little bit. I, I was a little disappointed in Bridgewater last year. Just always seems to take the underneath stuff. You know, there's there was that long, long running complaint of Alex Smith that 
when the team was down two scores, he would just take so many checkdowns. They'd only get one touchdown and they'd still lose. People would say that. I don't even know how fair that was. I certainly felt that way with Bridgewater sometimes last year. Some of Mike Davis's big reception games, it was like, man, you're down 14. You have to push the ball down the field here, and you're just taking dump offs to to Mike Davis. But that's not – I mean, he was good for fantasy. You've pointed this out, and it's one of the reasons you've been excited about the Broncos. I'm sure you were happy to hear that, that he's going to be the starter. Yeah? I am, and I don't know for sure that it's going to benefit the underneath guys exclusively. Right. One of the things is that you have Locke with a bigger arm that is more erratic. You, you know, watch them be able to scheme that little, you know, underneath touchdown for KJ Hamler in week two of the preseason after he had scored in the first week. And I think the guy who moves the ball and you know keeps yeah. you from punting is the guy who benefits all of the receivers. And so with you know, Cortland Sutton coming on a little bit more slowly. I think there's still a lot of room for Hamler now. You know, is he going to have a lot of ADR touchdowns with Bridgewater? Probably not, except for the fact that, you know, if Fant is as good as we expect and Bridgewater should be very good for him. And, you know, if Jerry Judy does what people are saying, what we expect, what he's been doing on the practice field, what he's been doing in joint practices, what his collegiate profile suggests then you know how are you going to deal with someone like a handler and so i think that you know even more than in the situation in carolina i think that he can get over the top bridgewater throws it up yeah maybe he doesn't have a huge arm maybe he's not incredibly accurate maybe he's a little reluctant even to take those passes i think this is going to benefit all of the guys because what you want to do is, is keep the drive moving score some points they're not going to be electric like they would if they had picked up you know deshaun watson or aaron Rodgers, but they have so much talent i think it's going to benefit them keep these drives going Ben, you mentioned Kamara, and I think that I have him up to, to the 102 now. When Colin Kelly and I drafted our FBG team for Rotoviz overtime last weekend, we had the 103, which was a, a fun pick to have, and we debated a little bit. The first two guys off the board, obviously, were McCaffrey and then Cook, and we debated Kelsey versus Kamara, and we ended up sticking with Kelsey and then drafting another one of those extreme zero RB teams. It would be interesting now to have that team with Kamara because of all the reasons that you mentioned, right? I think that he's the second best running back in the NFL in terms of all around behind Christian McCaffrey. He does what an NFL team needs. I think there's a gap down to the next best people. Dalvin Cook, probably the best combination of pure rusher with some receiving ability, right? I mean, he's kind of in that group with Chubb and Henry as a pure rusher, and yet he catches the ball some. But we've talked about how this 15 and five sort of rush EP, receive EP profile doesn't really work. And there are some people who are very concerned about a, a variety of injury things that he could have. I, I think that that's maybe tricky to knock him on since he had a pretty good season last year and only missed a couple games as opposed to you know going out for a long stretch. But Kamara now has massive upside. You have still those red flags you mentioned where you know Winston is the guy who you know wants to throw the 50-yard touchdown or interception as opposed to taking the check down and keeping the drive going. They could still use Hill in a way that vultures points from a lot of the players and, and makes this kind of red zone situation a little bit trickier for someone like Kamara, who has sort of a lot of touchdowns in these seasons where he's been the best back or the second best back. So it's not that it's completely smooth sailing, but I think the fact that the offense now looks like it's going to be very dynamic, there's a the potential for it to be even more dynamic than it has been. And that's great for a running back who has Kamara's skill set. And so I would put him back into that range. 
I, I love it. I, I love it. I think he should be the number two. Uh, I, I wanted to mention some research I was doing and, and tout the, the road of his screener a little bit. You've talked about that 15 EP, 5 EP thing. I wanted to dig into Cook a little bit more. Uh, I went onto the road of his screener. It's an awesome tool that Fantasy Douche built a couple of years ago. You can you can adjust this uh, YFOG slider, yards from own goal, all the way up to wherever you want it to look at green zone touches. This is where I get my green zone touches for uh, stealing signals. I moved it all the way up to 97, 98, 99 yards from the own goal, from, from your own goal, which essentially means one yard, two yards, and three yards away from the end zone. And in that range, Dalvin Cook had 20 carries last year, which was the most in the league. What I wanted to look at, because I've heard this point made several times over the years, I want to say that Rich Rebar has made it a few times, um, but it's that essentially those types of, the, the, the volume of snaps in that range is uh, highly variable year over year because some teams get into the end zone on, on certain plays and, and then other teams get tackled in between the one, two or three yard line. So a big reason Dalvin Cook had 15 rush EP is because he had these 20 carries from the one, two or three yard line and he scored a ton of touchdowns on those. That was the most in the league. I believe it was the most since 2000 in this research I was looking at. When you look at rush attempts year over year in that range, it, it is not very consistent year over year one of the really cool things about the screener is when you do that you can click and see a scatter plot and see that it's a pretty wide range the guys that had 20 or even 15 or more one year didn't necessarily have the ability to repeat that the next year certainly cook is going to get their high value touches they're really close in zone touches but um, the bigger point was you can also click over to the team level and you can look at since 2000 how stable the, the screener doesn't have total plays but i was looking at rush attempts how stable rush attempts from the one, two, or three yard line are year over year. And there's almost no stability. There's a couple of teams that have um, gotten up to about 30 of those types of plays all the way back to 2000. And I, I believe none of them got 20 the next year is what it was. There's virtually no, no consistency year over year on, on rush attempts inside the three yard line. And so that's, you know, I, I didn't know a good way of necessarily writing that up, Sean, but it's exactly what you've been talking about with this 15-5 thing. He only has five receiving EP is your point because you've been saying that we want these running backs who get basically 10 and 10, who give us the 10 receiving EP. And the problem with Cook is going to be that that 15 rush EP is not going to be stable because these rush attempts inside that close to the goal line are not going to be stable. So he's either going to have to be able to score from further away, which is tougher to do for every running back, or he's going to have to add to his receiving work, or his his total EP is going to come down, and that's I mean that's your whole point. And, and anyway, there's there's really good data on that that it's it's not going to be consistent this year for Cook with that those close touches. I like I like Kamara at the one hundred and two. I like what you're saying. And Cook was also efficient. He he did well in fantasy points over expectation, which we expect the guys with big talent to be kind of in that category, but it doesn't always happen. I mean, some of the seasons when you know David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell had the huge workloads. Obviously, they were the guys you wanted. They score in that twenty plus point game range. But if they had added, you know, five or six fantasy points over expectation, you know, we would see them even in a completely different light. It, it, it's hard to do, even for the stars. And so when you're talking about these, you know, where do you get these legendary running back performances? You have to have the massive volume, and then you have to have the massive volume that's paired up with a season where they're actually extremely efficient, too. So you need a lot of things to go right. Sometimes those things do go right. And those are the backs who then everybody's like, well, if you had this guy, then, you know, you won your league and you were in the mix to win half a million dollars. You need to find that guy the next year. One of the things that we talk about is make sure you're targeting profiles that can do that. And, and we think that Kamara can, I mean, could, could, but it, it is a narrow, narrower path for him even before you start to get to maybe uh, this injury element that, that could be a little bit tricky for him. 
you and I believe that really it's McCaffrey and then there are a lot of other ways you could go at running back in the first round. We talk about how the preseason matters and making fewer mistakes. You can't afford to make a mistake with a top five pick. Camaro was someone you kind of had to wait on. Now I don't think it's a mistake. A lot of those other guys still are. Some of, some of the other things that we're thinking about is we're sort of using preseason information. You know, late knowledge is often crucial. We, we, we emphasize that. And, and Sean, you talked about James Robinson uh, in our notes here. You mentioned James Robinson in 2020. It was interesting really, really late in the draft season that he started to get up to maybe about the 11th or 10th round in some drafts. Usually he was just a very late round flyer. In some leagues, he was a, a free agent pickup. But the buzz started to build. I, I have this sort of vague point that I'm not sure sort of how much weight it holds, and I have never really known how to test it particularly well because the samples are going to be pretty small. But on these players that rise a lot late, the point would be that they don't necessarily rise enough because drafters sort of get anchored to past draft cost. So a guy like uh, James Robinson, I think the case could be made, even as he got up into the 10th or 11th round at some point, but people were sort of unwilling to push him ahead of guys they had been taking in the single digit rounds at the running back position, basically all off season, that drafters, even those aggressive ones were, were almost still not aggressive enough because I think they're, I mean, certainly the way it played out, you know, impacts this, this point. It, it's a little bit more of an outcome based point than sort of a process based one. But I do think there's other evidence in this case, but with Robinson, you certainly could have made the case that he should have been going all the way up in the sixth or seventh round. Like why not? It looked like he was very clearly going to be the lead back very late in draft season. You, I mean, you, you could have went even higher, obviously with where he finished, you could have taken him in the second round and been okay. But I, I think it's interesting to think about whether these guys even rise high enough. And a couple other examples I, I've given before, but Arian Foster, his big breakout year, second year was very similar to Robinson. And then he was getting all this camp buzz. Remember almost every draft I did that year, he seemed to go a round or two higher. And by the way, my very last uh, draft, I was certain I was going to get him in the fourth round. It was a round higher than the highest I'd seen him. And he goes in the third round in my last draft. I didn't get any shares of him. I was, I was so frustrated. Kareem Hunt, the year that Spencer Ware got injured. The talk prior to Spencer Ware's injury was that Hunt had the potential to take over that backfield. Sean, I know you're on him. He was in the zero RB article. He was somebody that, that you were drafting all over the place. But then Spencer Ware gets injured in preseason, and we still have a little bit of time until the season actually starts. And the discussion point became, well, there, there was plant. It looked like we we're going to have this committee, this two-back committee, but now it all consolidates to Hunt and how high should he go. And I think he settled around the third round. And I remember thinking at the time, I don't know if that's high enough. If we really had been thinking about Kareem Hunt as the sole back and as excited as everyone was to say, uh, for him as a prospect, as the sole back in this backfield, that we probably would have been taking him as a second round or higher, second round pick or higher. It turned out that he absolutely smashed. He, he crushed on Thursday night football. Sean, we were talking before the show about this a, a little bit. And those late main event drafts, he ended up going in the top five because he, he had such an explosive game in Foxborough on Thursday night football that year um, that the, the, the last main events, he was a, you know, a top five pick. So certainly the, the third round probably wasn't a fair accounting of what he, he had in front of him. And, and, and then the other guy that makes a lot of sense on, on this topic this year. Um, and I've made this point elsewhere. And some people have told me they've, they've liked the point. So I wanted to share it here, but it was, it was Daryl Henderson. And I felt like he hadn't necessarily risen high enough. Now, obviously, Sony Michelle has been traded there, and that has shaken things up. And maybe that's a point that, that the skepticism on Henderson was fair. But now Henderson almost hasn't fallen enough. 
because there, there almost hasn't been enough, a, a whole lot of reaction. I'm still seeing him go in sort of the exact same range he was going before the Michelle trade, the fourth, fifth round. And maybe there's a case to be made that Michelle was sort of the best case scenario of something that was already expected that they would add somebody else. Maybe maybe that's the, those drafters' thought process. But I think this point might also now relate to Sony Michelle, who I'm seeing go in the 10th, 11th round. Is that high enough? Are we anchoring too much to Sony Michelle's 20th round? I mean, now his situation is very strong. Should he be a seventh round pick? I, I think there's a lot of uh, a, a lot more inefficiency with these ADPs of these big movers late, and it's 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 certainly something worth giving a lot of thought to and trying to target potentially because there are definitely examples of players who have moved a lot, risen a lot, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to get off certain takes and and think about it with fresh you know, with a fresh mind when I've already sort of thought through this process for months all off season and everything sort of changed in these last minutes right before the season. But it is something that it like, I, I think is there's a, a potential huge edge to just making sure that your take is correct on players that are moving. You mentioned kind of in a way to this idea of chasing the people up and, and sometimes you can chase them up and just miss if you chase them up and are just hitting. And so you have to feel for where they're going. The ADP tools we have for a variety of different formats will help you. Matt Spencer has a cool uh, Twitter sentiment element with uh, his ADP tool that he's just recently built. You can figure out some of those. Because I wonder on these players who are going up, if we know they're continuing to go up or that they're likely to continue to go up, you know, do we want to get as much as possible right away after whatever the move is? And that's a way to do it where, again, we have some exposure and then some price discipline because the problem is just if we chase wildly then we've gone away from the elements that make zero rb work in the first place if we chase wildly then why are we not just drafting miles gaskin why are we not drafting mike davis because you know gaskin was very good last season mike davis probably a limited talent but not limited to the extent that he's sometimes penalized. Colin and I just took him in a listener league that we were doing and we got jokes from most of the rest of the people participating and wondering if we were okay, if we had been hijacked and, and someone uh, was was entering our picks. Now, that was a situation where because it's a listener league, you know, Davis had fallen to like round nine. And in round nine, you know, again, price matters, okay? And so we're looking at some of these things, but I, I think this point that you and I have been really harping on all season is that talent matters. And that's kind of the, really the core or the foundation behind the zero RB list in the first place is that we put a lot of effort into figuring out which players have this explosive upside that may not have manifested yet at the NFL level. And certainly you're not going to be right all the time. We're not saying we have some, you know, mystical ability to hit on that, but knowing which players you think are talented does matter because you need to have contingency based plays in there to take advantage when they blow up. If you think that Hunt is the guy, if you think Henderson's the guy, you have to have exposure. Uh, kind of going back to this idea of Henderson and Michelle and giving some you know actionable info for the listeners, where are you on this, Ben? I was talking a little bit of this idea with Devin McIntyre, who I think is one of the sharpest minds in fantasy. You can hear him on the Solis Report, which has just dropped a new episode. So if you guys have been waiting for that for about a year, uh, there's some stuff out there from John and Devin. This idea of kind of these two guys, and what the Rams think of them, the fact that Michelle was actually in sort of a stealth way, very good last season, had a huge bounce back from 2019 where he was actually very pedestrian. And so he has all of these great peripherals last season, 
The buzz out of training camp was fantastic. I mean, you got the impression he was playing so well in camp that he was either going to make the Patriots put him back up there, not of co-starters, because he's so good, and he's a former first-round pick, or they're going to have to move him to some other team that wants him and that needs him. The Rams, you know, arguably fit that bill. When I'm looking at this, and again, trying to understand price and how other very smart people are looking at this, which is what I would consider the fantasy community, how do we compare this to the Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake situation, right? Because Jacobs is a lot cheaper now because Drake is there. I think it's very clear that Josh Jacobs is good and not great, but good matters. Good is something that's valuable in a starting NFL running back. I also think it's clear that Kenyon Drake is not good. He had a great situation last year in Arizona. He failed. Every team that seems to have him sours on him. He ends up somewhere else. By contrast, we don't know for sure that Henderson is good. We think that he probably is. I mean, for me personally, he has this explosive ability. He has the run to daylight ability. We saw the highlights last year before he got dinged up a little bit and loses the job to Akers. So I mean, he's the kind of guy I like. But we don't know for sure that he's good, and we don't know for sure that Michelle is bad. And so I almost think that you know there's a bigger issue here in terms of Michelle Henderson than there would be for, say, Jacobs uh, Drake. And Stefan Lacoe had a great article this last week on the site talking about how Jacobs is going to be the steal of 2021. He's still hard for me to pick, but I could see how that could happen. Yeah, I mean, he's, his price gets so low sometimes that it is interesting. His, his situation doesn't seem that much different. I mean, they did pay quite a bit of money to bring in Kenyon Drake, which was interesting. But last year he was going, what, in the second round in <laughs> a lot of drafts? And now he's... Well, turn. Yeah, and now he goes uh, significantly later than that. I mean, it depends on the league you're in, but you can get him sometimes in the you know eighth round. I mean, it just, it just sort of depends, but typically a little higher than that. And I think it's a good point. It's a really good contrast between a backfield that we've sort of collectively soured on. So the point I was making is a little bit different than like you were making a very strong point about value and not reaching too high. Uh, one of the points I was trying to make was this idea that wisdom of the crowds element of ADP is something we should, we should trust to cert to a certain degree. And we don't have enough information with these late movers yet to, to really trust it as much. Basically the Jacobs and Drake one is a situation where the crowd sort of made a decision that it wasn't that interesting early in the off season. And then we've also sort of just seen a, some drifting away from that. And they, they continue to kind of just fall later and later. You see, you know, even Jacobs early in the off season, he was going later than last year, but he wasn't going as late as you're starting to see him now, which is just like very late. And I can kind of understand that point where he can wind up being a pretty useful piece. I mean, he's in, like I said, a situation not much different than last year, but it's, it's a really interesting contrast between one that we've sort of, collectively the wisdom of the crowds already made a, a, a decision on a long time ago in Jacobs and Drake. And, and now we're just sort of seeing some, some inertia in this and they're falling because no one's talking about them anymore. And then the flip side is, is Henderson and Michelle, which would be the, the point would be, I don't know that we have a collective take yet. You know, there was a conversation on Twitter the other day that brought up this point um, that I was making about late risers and Kevin Cole from PFF, former, former Rotovis guy, buddy of ours, jumped in and said he thinks it relates to Michelle. And I thought it was a really interesting way of putting it because in, in his mind, Michelle and, and Henderson should basically be seen on par. I mean, they have very similar chances to be the lead back in a, in a, in a strong backfield. 
you know, maybe you'd give it a 60-40 towards, towards Henderson right now. But even if you did that, based on what we're seeing in these initial drafts after the trade, it would be pretty clear that Michelle would be the target at this point. My initial reaction was to still be very high on Henderson. And for some of the reasons you talked about with talent, I, I was Michelle was very good last year. <laughs> I went back and looked at a couple of his long runs and I was like, yeah, still didn't look that explosive. You know, doing my little film grinder, putting my hard hat on, doing some film grinder stuff. At the same time, you know, just getting to the second level, making a cut, getting into space. That has some value for some coaches and things. Maybe he's not going to be a guy who can have breakaway 80 yard runs at this point because he doesn't necessarily seem to have that long speed anymore. But hitting the right hole and, and getting to the second level and consistently moving the chains. That's the kind of thing that some coaches are going to value so much that, that he might wind up in the role. And then all you really need to do is wind up in the role. Cause then you have the opportunity, you have the touches, you have all those things. And so, yeah, I mean, my, my initial response and in stealing, stealing signals was like, you know, I'm moving Henderson down, not too much because I do think he's still the upside bet from a skill perspective, but you make an interesting point that we don't necessarily know how good Henderson is, how capable he is of handling a huge workload and we don't necessarily know how bad Michelle might be. I mean, I think everyone is sort of assumes he is, but certainly a long time ago, there was reason to be very excited about his potential explosiveness and all of those types of things. So yeah, Kevin's Kevin's perspective on that really made me reconsider as well, that like maybe over time, if we had months to draft these, people would be targeting Michelle more and we'd start to see their ADPs creep closer together and that Michelle might be the, the bigger target right now. It, it's a little bit for me and you know, maybe uh, since I have a 78%, I mean, it's obviously not quite that high, but I own James Conner everywhere. It, it's easier for me to see a scenario in which if you're having someone who just has a monster season, it probably is Michelle over Henderson based on the profiles and the way that's set up. You know, if you're just talking about who's more likely to score more points, then maybe Edmonds and Henderson have a small edge. But again, you know, price is just so important. Then in our second episode of this topic, we're going to get into a lot more player takes. Uh, hopefully not too many of them will be completely run over by what happens in this third week of the preseason. But we're getting close to the season here. We've got a lot of drafts going. Uh, we're having fun talking with you all, and, and we can't wait for the next show. That'll do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. My name is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch to follow our draft exploits and get the next episode when it releases, please subscribe to Ceiling Signals. If you can, drop us a rating and review. As always, I'd like to mention, Ben Gretsch, you have the best newsletter in the industry, Ceiling Signals. Make sure you subscribe to that. Ben has all of the off-season Ceiling Signals reports out now. You can get all of that information that's so crucial for your draft coming up this weekend. As always, when you subscribe to Rotoviz, if you'd like a 10% discount, you can use the code RBRADIO2021 at checkout. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.